Amen. Please remain standing. Hear the words of our God. Again, the end of Psalm 127 there, the last three verses. These are the words of God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And then from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. These are the words of God. Let's ask his blessing upon them now. Heavenly Father, let your word have its way with us. Let your spirit drive and direct us as to what we should think, how we should feel, and what we should do. Another school year is upon us, and this congregation already knows much of what you require of us in training up children in the Lord. And so strengthen and encourage, redirect and admonish, make us sure-footed in our work and clear-headed in our thinking. And do so now in the preaching of your word, by the work of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. So we are a congregation that has been given a wonderful gift, a denomination with a spirit-inspired distinctive. You will not find other denominations in mass as we have been blessed to be able to do, uh, preaching to our people, teaching our people from the Word of God, the importance, the responsibility, the opportunity, and the principles of providing a Christian education for our children. That God demands it, that God commands it, and that God promises through it to work in our children, in and through the next generation, building them up. This is a gift that has been given to us. And, and I want you to remember that as you go into all the work, all of you teachers, all of you homeschoolers, all of you students, parents that will be driving um, all of this activity for the next several months ahead of you again. What you are doing is, is out the outworking of a gift God has given you, a gift that God has given you. We have set ourselves to understand and obey these verses and to put them into practice through a variety of methods. We believe that the responsibility to educate children falls squarely upon fathers and not in any way upon the civil government. We also believe that education is preparation for cultural and spiritual warfare in and over the world of unbelief. And I'm not, that's not hyper, hyperbole. This is spiritual and cultural warfare that our children are being trained in. Joseph Stalin understood it. Joseph Stalin said, education is a weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. Stalin knew that in order to build a country according to his worldview, which was atheistic communism, the state had to control how the minds of the next generation were programmed. And so does our statist education system today the exact same principles they are working from. They must take your children and program them according to their principles. And we must say, not with our kids, you will not. Our goal, therefore, is not simply to instill a Christian worldview, though, that defends the faith. That's not the goal. We certainly are going to instill a Christian worldview in our children and raise up a next generation that is thinking about that. But our goal is, that, is, is what God intends. God intends the church to break down strongholds and take ca captive every thought against which even the gates of Hades cannot prevail. 
That is what he's training you children up in. That is what he's trained, that is what he's trained generations now of, of, through Christian education to do, to go break down the gates of Hades. God has called us to fashion faithful generations of disciples to do that in every aspect of civilization. This is biblical warfare. That is what we are engaged in. We must understand the metaphorical context of the psalm. We must understand the antithesis of the two seeds, the two sides, and the war in which we live. Why is there such a martial theme in the goal of child rearing? Why do we talk about children being like arrows in our hand? Because it's war. Because it really, really is a battle. The antithesis we see straight up out in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after the fall, when God said that he would put enmity between, um, between the devil, between the serpent and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he said. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And the, and the history of mankind is the outworking of that war, that antithesis, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Don't think that you live in a world of neutrality. Don't think that you live in a world um, where, where um, and don't think you live in a world where all we're, all we're dealing with are the consequences of some bad education or some bad decisions. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. We're in, and we've been told we're here for a particular reason, and it is to do battle with the seed of the serpent. It is to raise up uh, generation after generation after generation of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who are able to take every, cap every thought captive and create a culture, take dominion of the land in the way that God has called us to, according to his word, and nothing less than that. So we educate our children because there has been a war since the fall. We are to train our children for the fundamental battle, and we are to train them to win. Every nation, every vocation, every station in life is to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 67 says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way, that your way, Lord, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And that's not just about um, make sure that everybody hears the gospel. Everybody hears that, that if they believe in Jesus, when they die, they'll get to go to heaven. We're talking about the salvation of the world, the recreation of the world, the total, the, the total dominion of the seed of the woman over this world, over this earth, by means of doing exactly what we were supposed to do in the garden that we failed to do, that now we do under our new head, our new Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist goes on to say, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And we don't just sing that psalm. We don't just read that psalm and kind of think hopeful, lofty thoughts. We sing that psalm, believe what God has said, and then we put into practice what he's given us to do. Philippians 2, in the great hymn that, that Paul wrote, if I jump into the middle of it, it, says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The decisive blow in this war was Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So important to remember, we are not striving for something that we hope may, we may find victory in one day. We are standing upon the objective victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death and the devil. 
We are, we are building upon a victory that has been completed in, um, in, in, in terms of the subject itself. And now we're working that out in, in the midst of, the, of, of a world that is still full of darkness. So the decisive blow was Christ's death and resurrection where he defeated the devil. His victory, his victory then, is the ground of our justification. It is the ground of our sanctification, and it must be the ground of our education. This is fighting the antithesis. And God himself is our warrior. Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Psalm 24, 8, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. We do not go into this battle alone. We go into this battle following the one who is leading the charge, even the Lord Jesus himself. Disciples of this warrior regularly are also described in martial language. Ephesians 6, 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Do you see what I mean when I say this is not hyperbole? This is all through the scriptures. This is about a battle going on. 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Preachers are to wage warfare when they stand up and bring the gospel to bear. They're to push the darkness out in the proclamation of the light, in the power of the word and in the power of the spirit. And then, then the people of the congregation are to go and live out what they have heard. They're going to live out what they've read. They're going to live out in their families, in the context that they are to push darkness out with the power of the light all around them in every, in every way. And students, as you are getting ready to go to school, you should be thinking this regularly. Why am I going to school? To beat Satan to a pulp. That's why. That's why. And that's why you're going to study. That's why you're going to study hard. Because we are going to push the darkness out with the power of the light. The light of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's worth giving the hard work to. It's worth it. And he will use it. God promises to bless it. You can look, look throughout uh, Timothy and six, uh, 1 Timothy 6.12 and 2 Timothy 2.3 as well. This is the language, the martial language of our battle, our war. And God is our warrior. And our enemy is the devil. Along with the world and the flesh, you can see these intertwined in one sense in 1 John 2.16, but it's helpful to distinguish the, the battle against the world and the flesh outside, and, uh, I'm sorry, the world and the devil outside, and also the flesh inside. There is a battle to be found outside and inside that must take place. And a faithful Christian education is a sanctifying means by which we are able to stand and fight those, win, and take more land, and take more more of this world, more of the thoughts, more of the culture. We, we are given the tools to do that with a Christian education, an education that is submitted to Christ. Psalm 127, 5, again, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The psalmist is talking about that our children are to, be, are, are to be brought up, the next generation of this church as well. <clears throat> you don't have any children here right now? Well, look around. There are plenty you can be praying for. 
There are plenty you can be walking alongside and helping. There are plenty that you can be watching out along with. So these children are to stand with us against enemies, against the enemies in the gate. This is not describing a healthy dialogue with the enemies in the gate. Let's have a discussion about these things. In fact, it could be translated, they shall destroy the enemies in the gate. And the gate's not the little cute little white picket fence gate at your house. Uh, The gate he's referring to is the gate of a city. The gate of a city which determines who or what or what kind of thinking or what kind of culture is allowed into the city. You and your children are stand at the gate and say to the enemies, no, no, that's not the way we are going to build a civilization. No, come and join us. Come and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll show you a good time. But no, we are not going to bring in a culture of darkness and death. We are not going to bring in a culture of atheism. We are not going to bring in a culture of some kind of quote-unquote neutrality because it doesn't exist. We are going to follow the Lord Jesus. Your children are going to stand at the, at the gate saying that with you to this culture around us. We are to take an offensive, uh, an offensive act in, with regard to battering down the gates of Hades and controlling the gates of the city. As I mentioned, there is no neutrality in education. We bought the lie. Someone, someone just recently said, gave this kind of illustration with regard to um, culture, Christian culture. Or is it possible to have the, the Christian values in a society if we deny Christ? Can we have a, still have a moral society if we deny Christ? And people look back, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, and you could say an education system had an awful lot of moral backbone to it that it doesn't have today, but there was a denial of, of God being, um, being the foundation of all of our education. Well, how, how come that was work? Should we go back to that? No, what that was, what that was was a Christendom that like uh, if, if you were going home today and you, and you cut off a branch of, of, of the tree over here and you had nice green foliage on that tree branch and you took it home and you said, see, it's a tree, it's alive, it's green, it's wonderful. And it looks fine today. And tomorrow it still looks good. And then it slowly begins to wither and die. For a while, it had the vestiges of a real live tree, but it doesn't take too long until you actually see it's dead because it's been cut off from the root. It's been cut off from the source. It's been cut off from the foundation. Well, the same thing has happened with, with the education system. We said, well, we can deny Christ. We can, we can have a, a, a neutral education and still push um, the values of our society as though those values just came out of thin air. And it, was like, and it, and it worked for a little while. It, it, we didn't notice that it was actually decaying for a little while. But here we are, dead and dried up. No morals at all anymore. And, and all because we believe this lie of neutrality in education. But Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's not a cute little cliche. You cannot ultimately understand anything outside of the fear of the Lord. You cannot ultimately understand anything outside the fear of the Lord, because nothing makes sense all the way down to the foundation unless you have the fear of the Lord as your foundation. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And then Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 12. He says, he who is not with me is against me. That's it. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So understood as war, we see that it is impossible to train up our children in enemy territory. It's impossible. It, it's, it's foolish to train up your children in enemy territory. But for many generations, American Christians have bought into the lie of this religious neutrality in education. We have done so because we have not been willing to see the antithesis before us, nor, nor the promised victory in the battle. Fundamental assumptions about the nature of truth, goodness, and beauty are either submissive to the declared word of God, or they are in rebellion to it. It has been said that education is one of the most religious things that we do. We are offering our children up unto some form of wisdom. It is one of the most religious things that we could possibly do. It should also be said that it is one of the most martial things that we do. How they are trained, what they come to believe, what their foundations are, and what comes out of those foundations will determine what the culture looks like 30 and 40 years from now because they will be the ones leading the culture 30, 40 years from now, or less. And so, ever grateful for the commitment and hard work of this assembly to obey the Lord in this arena, I do not need to sing to the choir. Or maybe I do. We need to hear this. But I know that everything I just said, the vast majority of you have heard before, and the vast majority of you believe the vast majority of you could in fact teach to others. You know it. You know it to be true. But don't let the fact that you know it to be true deaden your nerve endings. Because I think we are about to head into one of the, one of the biggest battles in this area in the next few years with regard to who gets to educate whom. And if, and if we don't understand exactly what we mean by the requirement, command, and promises of God to educate our children, we will let go in the battle, and we will give up. And so, I want to now address what I believe we particularly need to be reminded and encouraged of, several different areas that I think are very important for this congregation to understand as we go into the new year, where we might need to look carefully to make sure that we have not veered off course. I have five points that I want to bring out. First of all, that we must do this education by faith. We must do this education by faith. It's pretty easy to kind of get the, the wheels of the machine going again in your systems, in your schools, in your co-ops, in your homes, get the machine going again and think that doing these works, pet, putting your feet to these pedals, that's what's going to do it. No, it's not. It's God who's going to do it. It's the living God in your family who is going to do it. It's the living God among his people who is going to do it. It's not enough to send your children to a Christian school nor to a homeschool. It's not enough to write a check. If it is to be a truly Christian education, it must be done by faith. This is one of the fundamental differences, people, between our education and the world's education. We are doing all of, all of it by grace through faith. We are trusting the Lord in all of it. We are not trusting in ourselves at all. We are simply obeying and obeying by faith that God has directed us and that God will bless and that God said something to us about our children. And so the faith is not in ourselves. 
not in the curriculum that we chose, not in the method that we've chosen. Faith is in the promises of God. Psalm 127 and Ephesians 6 all stand in light of the promises God has given for our children. Ephesians chapter 6 said, began with children, obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. In other words, go to school and do your homework and work hard because God promises you something. What did he promise you? The whole world? That it would go well with you on this earth? That he would instruct, equip, and prepare you to join in a battle that we are going to win, that Christ is going to win? God has promised an amazing gift to us with regard to our children that sets us at ease. Let me read several very familiar passages. Listen. Psalm 102. Of old, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed but you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Ezekiel 37 David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Mary's song from Luke chapter 1, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation." Acts 2, when the Spirit is poured out, Peter jumps up and says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so generation after generation after generation heard from, from God to all of Israel, I will be with you forever, and my covenant will be established with you forever. And the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, and all the languages representing all the nations hear it, and the same message is given to them. And then years later, Paul will write a letter to a bunch of Gentiles in Ephesus, many of whom will never go to Jerusalem, many of whom will never spend a day in Palestine. And he says to them, the word is true for you as well. Believe it and act accordingly. Parents, do not, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but grow them up in the paideia, the enculturization, and the admonition, the nurture, the nuthesia, the, the, uh, the counsel, the direction, the correction of the Lord. Why? Because I have something for you. I have something for you. Believe that. 
The, the first thing we have to do is simply believe. All of the activity that is about to take place, that is already starting to take place, must be done by faith and not by works. So if you look over history, oftentimes that's part of what happens that, that causes things to veer off course. People start by faith. They see the promises. They, 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 have, they have this sense of what God has called them to do, and they get to work doing it by faith, and then they pass it on to the next and the next and the next, and pretty soon, pretty soon you have all kinds of processes and methods and curriculums and all kinds of things set up, and you have a bunch of consumers that start coming in and saying, what can I buy so that I can have what I see you guys having? We become like, we become like Simon wants to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do I have to do to buy this stuff? It's not about buying the stuff. It's about believing God. It's about following Him all in faith. All in faith. So education must be done by faith. The second point I want to make is this. Education is worship. Education is not our Savior. Christ is our Savior. While we are super, super committed to Christian education, don't make it your idol. Education is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. However, if education is an outflow of our faith, then this work is the service of worshiping God. The only, it's, not, it's not like the only time you worship God is when you gather together in the Lord's Day or when you have your personal devotional time. Um, the word worship in the New Testament is often rendered service. The idea is that worship is work. Worship is rendering yourself before God, like what you will do on a morning during the week when you have to get up and go to school. That's worship. That's worship. Romans 12, 1, um, 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your, your bodies are to be offered as a living sacrifice. And we are to do so. Um, how do we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? Paul goes on to say, through the renewing of our minds. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, we are still way, way too compartmentalized in our thinking. We have, a, we have this idea that there are subjects that we are to learn, and they are in hermetically sealed boxes. And we don't see how Christ is the one in whom all things consist and, are, and cohere. Everything, um, in, in previous generations, there were, there were far more people who grew up in what was called a liberal education in the liberal arts. And the reason that they, they studied in the liberal arts, the thing that pressed them in that area, was, was the idea that everything was connected. Everything. All subjects were under the lordship uh, of Christ, a Christian liberal arts education, and all things overlapped. You, you, when, you, when you learned a subject over here, it made a difference about how you did a subject over there. And so uh, what, what we have to be very careful about is that we're not... We're not trade-oriented in the instruction of our children. Now, everybody should learn a trade. Everybody should learn a number of trades. Everybody should learn hobbies. Everybody should learn different skills. Absolutely. But when it comes to education, it should not be vocational training. It should be the renewing of our minds. 
It should, it should be learning how we're not to be conformed to the way this world thinks. And it should be, we should be thinking about how our minds are to be renewed to think Christ's thoughts after him in every subject and in everything that we come into contact with in this world. And, that, and when you have that in your mind, then it's, it's, it's far easier to be working on a math problem and, and finish it and get it done and also go, God, that's glorious. The, the way that works, you did that. That is glory. That is beautiful. And I see how that helps me understand something else over here and something else over there. If you, if you give yourself to that kind of education, you know, I'm, uh, I've worked in education for years. One of the things that we have said over and over again is that we want to bestow a love of learning to our children. Well, I can't bestow what you're not trying to work on yourself. What, what you have to do, what you have to do is you have to believe that the, sub, the thing you're learning right now, that the thing you're learning is God's. He made it, and he's given it to you to explore. You, you, ha you have to start there, and you, and you have to believe that God is good, his beauty is amazing, his order is precise, and he's got, he's got tricks up his sleeve all the time in terms of what he's going to do with that. You have to study that way. You have to study as a worshiper, not as a cog in some machine. Study as a a worshiper. Third, we have to remember to play the long game. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So it's interesting. In that verse, he says, don't grow weary while doing good. So don't grow weary while we're doing this work of building education systems, of, of teaching, of learning. Don't grow weary. But then he says, he says, because in due season... We shall re reap. There it is again, the promise. It will pay off. Your, obedient, your obedience to studying, your obedience to teaching, and especially thinking about it in the long haul, is going to pay off. So we're admonished not to, to, to grow weary in doing good. Children, you must give yourselves to the long haul of education, seeing it as a vocation. Seeing it as a calling. What do you do for a living, third grader? I go to school. God has called me to it. Vocation is just simply what your calling is, what God has called you to. What has God called you to? He's called me to read this book. He's called me to study these things. He's called me to memorize these things. He's called me to write a paper about these things. He's called me to convince others about what I've learned, and what I think is right and true and beautiful. This is my vocation. Understand it as a vocation and then give yourself, like you would to any other vocation, to learning it over the long haul. So, it also reminds us that we are still, right now, in the beginning stages, though, of repairing the ruins of a generations-long destruction of education and the, mind, and, and the mind and soul of Western man. Western man. Um, I, I think it was about 40 years ago that I saw my first classical Christian school. And, um, and, and it was about that time also, the first time I ever heard about homeschooling. We didn't have any kids. Um, and, and I was fascinated, interested. I was, I was a fairly new Christian. Um, and, and I remember how little there were resources if you, if you wanted to do this. And, and how few people had actually kind of gone down the road to figure out, we are, 
we are blessed with so much that has come before us and so much that we can build on. You, young parents, starting this, you're so blessed with how much has been laid down, how much blood has been shed, tears and sweat have, have been poured out to, to have what we have to work with. But I kind of thought, I, I kind of thought 40 years ago that maybe we'd have it all kind of fixed and figured out by now. And I don't think we do. I think we're still repairing the ruins. I think there's, there's still a whole bunch to understand and re-understand and, and, and think and build upon. And so it is, it is time, again, for another generation. Roll up their sleeves and figure out the next steps with us. And, it, and because of that, we have to remember to be patient with one another. Do not be the kind of people that Bonhoeffer called visionary dreamers. Had you heard of that? Visionary dreamers. Never satisfied with anything in the real world because it doesn't live up to their ideal. Regarding community, with, with, with this in mind, he wrote these words. He said, those who love their dream of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may ever be so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. This is so true in the community of Christian education, educators, and their friendly critics, because my kid is at stake, right? <laughs> and, so, and so you feel it. The ante is up, because we're talking about my kids. And there's a, te- there's, there's a temptation to think, and because it's my children, it better be perfect. Well, welcome to the real world. It's not going to be perfect. It is getting better and better, but it isn't perfect. And if, you're, if you live with only the ideal and then critical of anything that doesn't hit the ideal, you'll destroy what we have. And so join with, join with the work of, of Christian educators, and let's build this thing. Let's make this better for the next generation. Let's take it to the next level. So, as I said, this is so true in the community of Christian education. God is perfect, but he's not a perfectionist. He is easily pleased and never satisfied. And so we have our work cut out for us. So education is by faith. Education is worship. We need to play the long game. And then I also want to address the friendly fire, the other friendly fire, not just the fire against uh, um, the education as is, but fire that often happens between those who choose different methods. Between the homeschoolers and the private day schoolers, for instance. You're passionate about your decision to homeschool. You're passionate about your decision to start or join a Christian co-op or to start or join a Christian day school. Your time and money prove it. You have reasons for choosing one method over another, and you believe your reasons are right. You wouldn't be doing that if you didn't think your reasons were right. So of course you think your reasons are right. You think it's better to do what you're doing than what you're not doing. Otherwise, you're insane, right? You're doing what you believe is the best thing to be done. Those who, but, but, and so, well and good. But do not forget the difference between principles and methods, Those who chose other methods you didn't choose, and I'm speaking to this congregation of Christian education uh, committers, we're already committed to that, okay? So I'm understanding that. We're committed to that. Now, amongst us, you chose a method, and someone else chose another one, and they're not your enemy. They're another battalion on your side. They are the Navy. You are the Army. And again, I've got some Navy guys here. That probably didn't help. The rest of you know what I mean. In the fellowship of the church, 
in the friendships established with families and among children, these are not the places to fight one another or to distance ourselves. In fact, as the congregation and the fellowship in God's community with one another, this is a place to cultivate deep and lasting loyalty, to learn from one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to stand alongside one another. These are your fellow warriors. Brothers and sisters, the Lord hates schisms and cliques. 1 Corinthians 1, 11, Paul writes, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. And he condemns it. He condemns it. The war's out there, not here. The war is out there. Parents and children, this will not come naturally. And it doesn't come naturally because we naturally just develop associations with one another. We're all together in this co-op over here. We're all doing the same curriculum over here. We happen to go to the same school over here. And you develop natural relationships and associations. But be careful. Be careful. You, you, you'll, you'll tend to think that the other people are a little bit different a little peculiar, but that's because they are different and peculiar, just like you and your group are. <laughs> You're just comfortable with that one. And if we're, if we're going to succeed here, we have to understand and be committed to the principles and all of the methods, all of the faithful methods, and we need to encourage one another in those faithful men, uh, methods. And it will require an, um, an out-of-the-natural circumstance, out of the natural course of events in your life where you have those associations to step out and step into someone else's life and someone else's method and someone else's life, build a relationship there as well. Step out and ask how it go, how's it going for them. Make a friend outside of your regular circle of friends. Learn how to do that. This is something that God will use, again, to bless and encourage and grow this fellowship, knitting us together in the bond of unity. Finally, I really mean it. I think we need to expect a battle. Part of the reason for strengthening our fellowship and community here is that we should expect a growing battle from out there. Do not grow complacent. The devil and the world hate what we are doing. We remain a seemingly insignificant minority to most of them today. We really are. What did I see? 48 million, 48 million children are going to public school this year, going to government school this year. We've got a couple million, three to four million homeschooled. And I saw, I saw something. Um, like I said, I, was, I, I saw the very beginnings of the ACCS getting started, and there's a couple schools, and there's 100 people, 200, and then they said this year they expect to grow ACCS from 50,000 to 60,000. This just really sounds little. <laughs> but God is at work, and that's not the only Christian school, not the only, Christian, not the only education system. But we, we remain, and that's, that's why the sites aren't set on us yet so much. We remain relatively um, an insignificant minority, but that is changing. And in our current, cult, current woke culture, we should expect to be tested on multiple levels by the establishment, tested to conform to their standards. And we should prayerfully prepare to cover, care, and support one another in the days and the years ahead.
I think of Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, and how he warns uh, about just such a, a need to prepare communities that are protecting one another, that are places of refuge for one another, that are watching out for one another's back. We will need that in the days ahead. So there was a great reformation 500 plus years ago, but we are in the middle of another reformation, maybe, maybe on the cusp of something wonderful that God is bringing. In warfare, as in all hard work, it is important to rally the troops with a well-defined objective. And here it is. God has given promises to us and to our children, to a thousand generations. Under those promises, we've been told to go and disciple the nations. But we've been told to do so under the victorious authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've not been told to go and make disciples of the nations. We've been told to therefore go because all authority in heaven and earth has already been granted to Jesus Christ. As we obey our call to disciple our children, we are declaring war upon the gods of false religion and their followers. War has been declared. Someone should write that in lipstick on one of your mirrors while you're getting ready in the, in the morning for school. You're going to war, or you're preparing for war. This is what is going on. We are declaring war upon the gods of false religion and their followers. But as you roll up your sleeves, children and parents, teachers, and this entire congregation, for another year of school, you must see with eyes of faith that the Lord is giving all of this back to us. It is truly the knowledge of the Lord, and the glory of the knowledge will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Isaiah 65, it says, They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And in Isaiah 11, it says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Gracious Father, your commands are sure and your promises much more sure. Set us to our, to our task, student, parent, teacher, school. Cover, protect, provide, and bless us in our work and keep our eyes focused on the goal, the end, the purpose for all of this work, the glorious gift of training up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that they might stand with us against all enemies in establishing your kingdom in your name by your power upon this earth and all to the glory of the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and respond by singing number 364.